Hi, my name is Dr. Mark Allendary, and I'm an infectious disease specialist in New Orleans. Hi, my name is Hope Hickerson, and I'm a health education specialist and reporter. This is the Noise Filter Podcast, where an infectious diseases physician, that's me, and a health education expert, that's me, talk to healthcare professionals about what you need to know about COVID-19, as well as community and public health. For more information about Noise Filter, your public health podcast, and to watch and share our incredible informative animations, please visit us at noisefiltershow.com. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. So let's get started. Many nurses leaving permanent positions for travel nursing work. After two years of grueling experiences in COVID-filled ICUs across the nation, many nurses in permanent hospital positions have begun to leave their jobs for higher paying positions at travel nurses. Travel nurses are nurses that fill short-term positions at hospitals experiencing staffing shortages. While the jobs only last a few months and don't offer benefits like permanent positions, they pay far more, sometimes as much as $10,000 per week. The demand for travel nurses has surged greatly throughout the pandemic. In parts of the country with high COVID case rates, ICUs maintain full staff by constantly hiring travel nurses. These nurses are paid more than the staff nurses around them, sometimes motivating the permanent workers they do have on staff to leave as well. This is putting a strain on many hospital budgets. In order to incentivize permanent work, hospitals have begun giving raises and bonuses to their staff nurses but there's little they can do to compete with the high reward of travel work. A report from NPR says this means that hospitals are often pulled into nearly constant hiring cycles, especially positions that require special equipment training pertinent to COVID patients like ECMO nurses. Imagine that. You can retain your labor by paying them more. Wow, what a, <laughs> what, a, what a concept, right? What a novel concept. <laughs> ECMO nurses are trained to monitor COVID patients on extracorporeal membrane oxygenation life support machines. That's ECMO, extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. That's what ECMO stands for. In some hospitals, ECMO nurse shortages have forced them to turn away COVID patients who need their blood oxygenated. And staffing shortages at those same hospitals prevent them from finding qualified nurses to train existing staff. Some hospitals and medical centers are even looking outside of the U.S. for permanent nurses. One health system in Michigan plans to bring in hundreds of nurses from the Philippines. The high turnover and low staffing in hospitals only increases the burden and risks of burnout in permanent nurses and ultimately puts the quality of care at risk in many cases. Are you seeing this in your hospital, Dr. Darian? Oh, yeah. During the Delta, it was... Well, first of all, it was hard because um, everybody was masked and the nurses that work in the COVID units wear extra masking, whereas I would be double masked. They have these big head masks that they wear. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was hard to recognize nurses, but a lot of nurses were travel nurses in the the COVID unit. So there's no question. And now I'm starting to see a return now that we don't have that much COVID and now the nurses are going back to wearing just the regular surgical masks or N95. I'm starting to recognize more nurses now. Right. So I think that to me just also means that the travel nurses have left the New Orleans area and have gone either moved on or gone back home. So, but yeah, I have seen personally saw a lot of that when I was in the COVID units. Interesting. Yeah. 
natural disasters as a public health issue. Now, natural disasters are of great concerns in the public health community and have many consequences. Devastating natural disasters have been increasing in frequency in recent years. Between the years of 2010 and 2019, there were nine federally declared natural disasters as compared to only 13 federally declared natural disasters in the previous 56 years. Hurricanes and storms are predicted to become more and more frequent as global warming continues. Climate change and natural disasters impact people no matter their income level, but these disasters can have disproportionate harm to those of lower socioeconomic status. Areas of lower income may be more exposed to environmental toxins, have less protection from disasters, less access to preparatory resources, and furthermore, a tougher time recovering from storm damage. Natural disasters can lead to acute or chronic physical and mental trauma. Those who experience disasters must cope with the stress and anxiety brought on by the storm. The shocking images of storm damage and the struggles of neighbors and friends can heighten emotions and worsen mental health following a traumatic natural disaster. And disasters can delay access to medications, health care, and even basic necessities. Natural disasters can exacerbate previous health conditions and can put those dependent on medication in harm. Despite an increase in weather events, improved planning, awareness, and alert systems have led to a dramatic decrease in U.S. deaths due to natural disasters over the past five decades. Natural disasters require lots of planning and coordination between local and federal governments and need the guidance of many experts from different fields, including public health. Cities and states may even contract out to private companies to help them manage logistics and distribution during and following storms. Considering the health impacts, planning, and response that is so heavily intertwined with public health, natural disasters have become more and more of a focal point as they increase in frequency. And here living in Louisiana, don't we know that? Living in Southern Louisiana, don't we know that? Did vaccine lotteries work? Did your state offer some sort of COVID-19 vaccine lottery? If you're not familiar with this concept, many states offered unvaccinated people the chance to enter a lottery once they received the COVID-19 vaccine. Ohio was the first state to offer an entry into a $1 million lottery upon receiving the vaccine. At first, vaccine rates spiked and it seemed like a great plan. The idea caught the attention of governors around the country. Soon after, plenty of states around the country were following Ohio's lead. JAMA Health Forum investigated the effectiveness of these vaccine lotteries. They looked at states using the lottery system versus states that were not using the system and concluded that vaccination rates were virtually the same and had a negligible difference. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> I was hoping they may have worked because yeah. considering the hefty prices of these lotteries and the relative ineffectiveness, some officials are starting to think that their money could have been better spent elsewhere. While more research needs to be done to support the long-term accuracy of the study, indeed it does. For mm-hmm. now, it seems these funds could have been used elsewhere to boost vaccination rates, offering prizes, quid pro quo, could be a stronger driver to increase vaccination rates since there is a certainty that you will receive something for getting the vaccine. And prizes are not likely to encourage people who are strongly against the vaccine. In this case, accurate programming and awareness spreading factual information could be a solution to this issue. Public health officials can use this approach in the future when thinking about how to motivate the public to action. Vaccine lottery shouldn't be looked at as a failure, and future research could prove it was actually a success. 
For now, though, it was a good trial and error that offers researchers a lot to learn from. And I don't think it was a failure either because, I mean, they were just trying everything and anything that they could to get people vaccinated. So I wouldn't consider that a failure. I think it was worth the gamble. Right. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast, follow us on social media, and to leave us a review, letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Hickerson, at www.hopehickerson.com. And you can find me at Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at the Dr. Derry, that's D-R-D-E-R-Y. You can follow us at Noise Filter on Instagram, Noise Filter NOLA on Twitter, and to see and share our amazing animations and to find out more information about us and the show, go to noisefiltershow.com. Just as a reminder, COVID-19 and the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV, do share the same risk factors. We are so grateful to our sponsors, Access Health Louisiana, and to the South Central AETC. You can learn more about them at www.scaetc.org. Hope, any last words? Yes, stay well out there, folks, and continue taking the steps to keep yourself and your loved ones healthy. That includes exercise, a good diet, and seeing your healthcare provider regularly. And protect yourselves and others by getting the COVID-19 vaccine, wearing a mask, and social distancing wherever possible. As an infectious diseases doctor, I also want to share with the healthcare providers in our audience that the HIV Care Tools app was recently launched by the AIDS Education and Training Center, the AETC. And it's a fantastic tool for ensuring your patients have access to the best standard of care. I encourage you all to check it out. And remember, health is a human right.